Hello, everyone. My name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about our political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Tuesday. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed your weekend, spending time with your family, your friends, watching the ATP Barcelona Open as well as the Serbian Open. And if you're into the WTA, the Stuttgart Open, where Iga Swiatek won. There's a little bit of news that we can discuss for today. Obviously, in terms of news within the tennis world, we can discuss the Boston Open final between Carlos Alcaraz and Pablo Carreno Busta, as well as the Serbian Open final between Rublev and Djokovic. In terms of news outside of the tennis world, we can discuss CNN ending CNN Plus and just my overall thoughts and opinions on all of that, as well as Bill Murray allegations that happened on the set of Aziz Ansari's new movie and just my overall thoughts and opinions in regards to that as well. And in terms of where we'll end it off, we can also end it off with my weekly pick, which obviously shouldn't be a surprise if you know who I am. And it's not a special. It's not a special. I'm, I'm just saying it's up front. It's not a comedy special. So I know, you know, people are kind of like not into me recommending comedy specials, but it's not a comedy special. You know, it's a pretty good album if I do say so myself. So, obviously, we can discuss what the tennis news for today. Uh, we'll discuss the Serbian Open final between Andrei Rublev and that of Novak Djokovic. So, if you guys didn't watch my podcast clips channel, go watch it right now, where I discuss how Andrei Rublev beat Novak Djokovic at the Serbian Open final. I released it yesterday, but if you don't want to watch it, you can always just stay on this channel and watch. Actually, watch both on my podcast clips channel and my podcast channel uh, in terms of this discussion, but... Uh, Andre Rublev beat Novak Djokovic 6-2, 6 4-7 was the tie-breaking set, and 6-love for that third set. And again, as I discussed in my podcast clips channel, but I feel like it bears repeating and begs repeating, the reason as to why Andre Rublev won is because he was able to effectively play on both wings of the court and allow Novak Djokovic to be extremely gassed and out of it by the third set. And that really made all the difference in the world for Andre Rulev to beat Novak Djokovic in this final on final Sunday. Uh, let's get right into the first set, shall we? So obviously I discussed it, but we'll, I'll give you the abridged version as to what occurred in that first set. Uh, Joker wasn't able to hold serve as Rublev was able to dictate pace and hit some stellar clean winners on both wings of the court. He was also able to effectively uh, use and utilize the topspin as well i mean there are certain shots of his where it was just flying off the ground and right like it, it was like the the jump that there was that there was included in those shots were just such a beauty to see and he was really, really able to to have those shots intact within that first set so let's get right into it, shall we? Uh, Joker holds in the first game as Rublev returns serve goes wide, one love. Rublev holds on clean ground stroke winner to make it one love, one all. Joker holds as Rublev volley doesn't clear the net, 2-1. Uh, Rublev ace lets him hold to all. And once you saw that, you knew it was going to be a little bit competitive. right? When it's two all, you know, it's very easy to sort of to, to understand that this will be a very interesting, very intriguing match. Uh in particular, that first set. So it was 2-all. Rublev breaks as Djokovic backhand is dead in the net to make a 3-2 changeover. And right then and there, like you sort of had the inclination that, okay, if Joker drops the first set, then he'll win the next two. He'll make it competitive, but he'll 
win the next two sets. And we've seen that before from Novak Djokovic. I mean, Novak Djokovic has had times, especially in the Serbian Open, where he had to play best out of three sets. And he had to play the the entire distance of those three sets. You know, there are matches against, you know, Jair and whatnot where it was very lengthy in time. And it took him a long, a long time for him to actually get into rhythm and to really do his best and to actually overcome the odds to win those matches. So I thought, okay, if he drops the first set, I'm at this point in time, that's what my overall thought was. If he drops the first set, then he can win the second and third set. Uh, it just wasn't the case for Novak Djokovic in this match, though. Uh, so yeah, so it was 3-2 changeover. Rublev holds to make a 4-2. Djokovic double falls to make a 30-all, 2-serving 4. And Djokovic, in my opinion, didn't really double fault that many times, but... The times where he did double fall, it was at extremely key, important situations. And that was just one of those situations where, you know, he, he would double fall to make it to, to make it 4-2, you know. And, um, you know, that it shows you that, that at the end of the day, that, you know, Rulo was able to get the better of him, especially in that first set. Uh, great volley by Rulov on a bad law by Djokovic to make it advantage. Great passing shot by Rulov to make it advantage yet again. Djokovic double faults yet again to make it 5-2. Uh, so yes, so to double fall on key points, on key break points for Rublev really goes to show that um, that it would be sort of the story for Djokovic in this match. Uh, Rublev gets the set as Djokovic backhand doesn't clear the net to make it 6-2. So that was the first set, quite anticlimactic. Uh, it started off strong for Djokovic. You know, he was able to make it 2-all, but then Rublev was able to get the next four straight games in that set uh, to take the set overall. And, yeah, I mean, overall, it was a pretty good set for Rublev. I mean, that was probably the best tennis we've seen from him in this past year or so, and that's including the Dubai Tennis Championships and the Province 13 title that he both won at the same week. So this was definitely the best set of Rublev's uh, year so far. Second set, uh, different story for Djokovic. Uh, Djokovic was allowed to was allowed allowed Rublev to make unforced errors and was able to get the key, key tiebreaker. And I felt like that was very very evident throughout the second set. So let's get right into it. Joker holds on a great set serve to make it one love. Great volley by Joker to break early and make it two love. Joker forehand is out as Rublev for, uh, breaks to make it two one. Rublev ties it up to wall as Djokovic volley goes a bit too wide. Forehand cross court near the net allows Joker to hold 3-2. Uh, Rublev ace makes it three apiece. Joker uh, forehand allows him to hold 4-3. And the thing that was, I found very interesting about this set was that they broke, both broke early, uh, but they were still made it sort of neck and neck throughout the entire runtime of the set. And it really goes to show you just how strong-willing these individuals are, are but more importantly, just how impo- how great they are at holding serve where neither one of them could really break. Either that or it's the fact that they can't break each other, which I'll go with the former instead of the latter here because that it is the final. So And it's the number one ranked player versus the number two ranked player of this tournament. So, yeah, Rublev ace makes a three-piece. Uh, Joker forehand allows him to make, uh, to make a 4-3. Rublev, Rublev love holds to make a 4-all. Rublev comes back from 15-40 to make a deuce as Rublev hits down the line winner. Joker holds as Rublev forehand down the line is out 5-4. And this is probably the best game of the entire set and probably the entire match uh, where it's 5-4. And there are multiple deuces in this entire game. And it goes to show you just the strong 
qualities that both of these players have and more importantly just how they were able to uh just be a part of it and to take advantage of the opponent based off their own strong suits so 5-4 go check that game out probably the best game in the entire match uh, so 5-4, Rublev serves, Rublev serving, obviously the most entertaining game. Joker was able to come back from 15-40 to deuce. Great return serve by Joker to go back to deuce. Serve plus ground stroke winner by Rublev makes it 5-all. Uh, Joker strong serve makes it 6-5. Nice clean hand forehand winner by Rublev makes it 6-all. And this is time for tiebreakers. So this is, the tiebreaker was, I'll just sort of give you the spark notes version of it. Rublev ground stroke goes wide to make it 4-1. Well, I'll just get right into the chase. Rublev double fall makes it 5-2. Rublev volley goes wide as Joker gets tiebreaker 7-4. And at the end of the second set, Djokovic was extremely tired. He was, you know, gassed at times. He took like an eight-minute break before starting the third set. And yeah, that eight-minute break, if this was any other tournament, like he would get penalized. I mean, Stefano Tsitsipas at the Boston Open got penalized for a bathroom break. He got penalized for like two points. Now, mind you, he was also, his dad was also like coaching him from the sideline. So that was probably uh, had a lot to do with it as well. But that third set took nearly eight minutes for Djokovic to come back onto court. And it definitely felt like Djokovic was out and tired of it. You definitely saw it in that second set, but it was very evident in that third set. Uh, and he'll get bageled by Rublev. Uh, Rublev holds to make it one love. Joker volley off a of Rublev volley goes a bit too wide as Rublev gets the break to make it two love. Rublev is good first serve, allows him to go off three love. Uh, Joker very slow to get up uh, during this changeover. When the chair umpire announced time, it took him a good 10 to 15 seconds before he could actually get up. Um, so swing volley by Joker doesn't clear the net. Uh, forehand down the line, a return serve by Rublev makes it four love. Uh, Rublev holds with a forehand cross court to make a five love. Rublev breaks, gets in the match, and quite anticlimactic to end the match, you know, especially with Djokovic not really in the swing of things. But overall, no, uh, Andre Rublev has beat Novak Djokovic at the Serbian Open final at his own home court, at his own home country, to win his third ATP title of this year, right after the Dubai Tennis Championships and right after that of the Province 13 final that he won. So overall, this has been a really good year for Andre Rublev. And overall, I'm excited to see what's to come for Andre Rublev in the next up-and-coming months. You know, will he be able to win the ATP 1000 tournament, whether it's the Madrid Open or Rome final? Will he be able to do that? I don't know. Hopefully he can, because I think Andre Rublev is a great character, is a great player for the sport of tennis. You know, he's one of these individuals that can really get men to watch him because he's just that electric on court, but also women as well, because he is like a... You know, he gets, you know, he gets Twitter talking, you know, like he's a, you know, he's a pretty, I mean, not here to judge, but he is a pretty, you know, handsome dude. You know, I'm, you know, I'm just putting that out there. He's a pretty handsome dude. Uh, Twitter seems to eat him up, you know. Uh, He has like that Sean White thing going on. I digress. Back to the tennis, though. Uh, Andrew Lev is great, you know, especially when you saw him at the baseline. I mean, that was, he was borderline untouchable at the baseline. The amount of tops in that he would generate from his forehands and backhands, the clean winners that he would get from both wings of the court, the fact that he's able to go back from the from from the baseline all the way to the court and back to the baseline. His footwork was incredible during this match. The, the way that he's able to c- control the pace as well really goes to show you that you know Andre Rublev is a very charismatic charismatic individual both off and on the court. 
And it really goes to show you that Andre Rublev is here to stay. And if he's, if he's able to beat Novak Djokovic, then chances are he's able to beat people within his own age range as well. You know, whether it's the Sveros, it's the bosses, and even that of the Medvedevs. So I'm excited to see what's to come for Andre Rublev. But more importantly, I'm just excited to see Andre Rublev in general because I do think that he is a really good you know, person for the sport of tennis. So when I see Wimbledon banning Russian players and Belarusian players, I'm like, you have no idea what you're doing to your own sport. You know, like you have no idea the damage and the black eye you are causing your own sport because of this. I know I'm sort of erratic with this topic and, and you know, with Andrei Rublev in terms of outside of the Serbian Open discourse. But, you know, I mean, Andrei Rublev is such a likable dude. I mean, how can you look at him and hate him? Like he is so likable. You know, the fact that he, I mean, on Saturday, he actually like took pictures with fans like an hour after the match was ending, after the match ended. He was still out there taking pictures with fans, talking to people, talking to, you know, young children and whatnot, you know, getting getting to know them, you know, being familiar with them, taking pictures, you know, signing autographs. Like, how can you, how can Wimbledon look at that and say, you know what, we don't want that guy to be playing in our sport? It's like, How? I mean, again, I, I don't want to get too into it because I, I feel like I've sort of said my thing last Wednesday in terms of this topic. But yeah, I mean, he's such a great person and, and I'm excited to see how he's going to be able to play, you know, in the in the Grand Slam because, man, if he's able to win the French Open or if any Russian player wins the French Open, oh my God, I mean, Wimbledon is... I mean, I don't know how that's good PR for Wimbledon if a Russian player wins the French Open, but then loses or doesn't isn't able to compete at Wimbledon for petty political reasons, you know. I mean, I'm rooting for Russians to win in the in, in the French Open, you know, any Russian, uh, whether it's on the WTA side or or the ATV side, you know, if, if it's Marketa Vundrasova, even better, you know, like honestly, like I just want. I just want the Russian tennis players to just stick it to to Wimbledon and to the authorities of Wimbledon because this isn't right. It really isn't. Uh, so, yes, congrats to Andrei Rulev on the win, on the Serbian Open win. I'm excited to see him in the up-and-coming months, in the ensuing months with these ATP 1000 tournaments, but also with the French Open as well. So, yes, let's get into our next bit of discussion here, shall we? Uh, in terms of news within the tennis world, uh, Alcaraz beat Pablo Carreño Busta 6-3-6-2 at the Boston Open. And this was a very interesting match, very uh, apparent match, I would say, very one-sided match, if you will. Uh, obviously, beat him in straight sets, and it really goes to show you that there is a difference in playing styles between these two players, but more importantly, that Alcaraz is just the better player against Pablo Carreño Busta. I mean, I think Carlos Alcaraz was number one ranked in this tournament. Pablo Carreño Busta was the number eight ranked, number six or number eight ranked, somewhere in the evens. And... Even though they both reached the final, Alcaraz was just that much better than Pablo Carreño Busta. Obviously, Pablo Carreño Busta really was able to hold serve in certain, in certain situations, but he had trouble breaking, and more importantly, he had trouble establishing a lead early on, and that was really evident within this match. And Alcaraz really just got the better hand on him, on the upper hand on him, and really showed just how different his playing style was. Not playing style, but just how different he is in terms of competing for tennis matches than that of, say, Pablo Carreño Busta. And this was a Spaniard versus Spaniard match, and the better Spaniard won. And that was Carlos Alcaraz. You know, Carlos Alcaraz is a future GOAT. 
you know, it's time, like people have been saying it time and time again, but, you know, it's very evident with that uh, Miami Open win. You know, pa- uh, Carlos Alcaraz is a future GOAT. You know, I mean, I think right now he's better than that of the current generation, which is Sitsipas, Medvedev, and and Zverev. You know, because people often say the current generation is Novak, Federer, and Nadal. And don't get me wrong, they're still playing it and what and whatnot. But I mean, at the end of the day, you know, the next generation is our current generation. You know, like they gotta grow up sooner, sooner than later. You know, to keep hyping them, hopping them up as the next generation, the next generation. It's like no, no, they're like 24, 25. Like they're not like at this moment in time, Novak Djokovic and Nadal would have you know multiple Grand Slam titles back in the day when they were 24 and 25. So it's very important to understand that the current generation or the next generation is the current generation. And Carlos Alcaraz, in my opinion, is way more talented, way more competitive, and has a better, bigger desire to win and has done well, comparatively speaking, to that of, say, Zverev, Sitsipas. Maybe not so much Medvedev. I mean, Medvedev has won a Grand Slam title. Uh, but in terms of the discussion of who's better right now, I would say Carlos Alcaraz, in my opinion, is better than that as Vera Vincitsipas. And it may not be the opinion that people want to hear, especially if you're fans of Zvera and if you're, if you're a fan of Tsitsipas. But I just got to call it like I see it. Right now, Alcaraz is playing the best tennis we've seen from a youngin for quite some time. You know, I mean, I've never seen a player this hyped since probably like FAA, like two, three years ago. Maybe even that of say Zverev and Sitsipas like four or five years ago, like when they were playing in 2017, 2018. Um, and obviously, like they've sort of tapered down, you know, uh, they're they were hyped up so much where you know obviously people sort of thought to themselves that this they could be the next, you know, Djokovic and Nadal, which I feel like people were sort of spoiled in that sort of comparison. But still, I mean, they were hyped up so much where you know they were they were going to disappoint people, and I feel like Carlos Alcaraz, he is a man that could compete in the same vein as say. Federer, Novak, and, and and Nadal. You know, I mean, it's going to be difficult to say that he'll win 20. I mean, again, like, I don't think people understand how spoiled we are as tennis fans to see three players currently playing on the tour. Uh, obviously, Federer is sort of out, but, you know, broadly speaking, three players on the tour that all have over 20 Grand Slams apiece. So, I mean, I feel like we're a bit spoiled. I mean, Sampras had like eight. I mean, I mean, like ten or twelve, actually, not eight. That's 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 I, that's not eight. Sampras. Sampras had like ten or twelve. So like he had half the amount that Djokovic, Nadal, and 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 Federer have. So again, we've been quite spoiled as tennis fans because of how great those three players are. So I mean, I want Cross Alcaraz to win twenty. I don't think he can win twenty. I mean, it's it's just so much. It's just so so much of a burden. And so much of a of a weight on his shoulders to say he can win twenty. Like I think right now we should say okay he can win ten. You know like I feel like that's a good number to start off with. And then once he wins and once he we're able to see just how uh, how much of a dominance he has on the circuit, then we can obviously project him to be twenty. But right now I feel like right now it's very important to to keep all your eggs in one basket and not to project so much, right? Because if you do, you're going to be disappointed. You know, low expectations are the key to life. You know, like, I feel like that's very important for tennis fans, but just for people in life in general. You know, like, 
understand that low expectations are the key to life. To say that Carlos Alcaraz can reach to 20 Grand Slams, well, that would be great. And while I would support that notion in theory, I feel like it's very important to just start off with baby steps. Start off with 10, work yourself up. Because if you start yourself with 20, you're going to be disappointed. But yes, Carlos Alcaraz beat Pablo Carreño Busta. There really isn't much to talk about this match, right? I feel like me discussing this match ad nauseum like I did with the Serbian Open Final, I feel like that would be, I, I wouldn't be a waste of time, but it would be a waste of breath. And and I think it, it, when you see Carlos Alcaraz, I feel like these next few grand, these next few tournaments will be very telling, uh, whether it's the Italian Open or the Madrid Open, and that will say the French Open. I feel like these next few tournaments, at this point, you know, it really doesn't matter whether or not he wins. Right? Obviously, he should win. You know, he should have that competitive spirit. But I feel like it's set in stone that Carlos Alcaraz can be one of the best to ever do it and it will take time you know i mean obviously rome wasn't built in one day uh no pun intended uh to the italian open but obviously because it happens in rome but uh i that's the last time i'll ever explain a joke but obviously when you when you think of cause all cross you think of a person that can really solidify himself as uh one of the best to ever do it uh now hopefully people you know, sort of take it in stride and say, okay, hopefully he can reach a 10 and then we'll discuss 20. But, you know, when people say he's a, he's he can be one of the goats, it really shows you that at the end of the day that, you know, these next few months are going to be very telling, you know, and, and if he's able to win and, and do well, it, I mean, how can you possibly root against that? You know, how can you possibly be against that? You know, for the longest time, people were saying, who's the next Nadal? Who's the next Djokovic? Who's the next Federer? And I don't think Carlos Alcross can really be that. You know, obviously, you know, he can reach 20 if he wants to. I mean, I mean, at the end, at the end of the day, baby steps. But, you know, understand that these players are on their own surface. You know, they're all on their own playing field. You know, there will never be another Nadal. There will never be another Djokovic. There will never be another Federer. It's very, very important to really cherish these memories that you have with these players because at the end of the day they can have a freak injury that can end their career just like that so it's, it's very very important to understand that these players can have an injury can have a setback and Carlos Alcaraz I don't think will be the next Nadal Djokovic or Federer in my opinion I think Carlos Alcaraz will be the next Carlos Alcaraz you know I think Carlos Alcaraz is in his own playing field He's in his own stratosphere, and you know the play that he uh, project, you know, puts out, you know, especially against Paulo Carreño Busta, a person that was able to use the drop shot a lot, able to do well at the baseline. You know, it's something that we haven't really seen that much from a person of that age at that skill set. So I, I'm, I'm for one, I'm, I'm very sort of interested to see what's going to happen with Carlos Alcaraz, and hopefully we'll see that in the next few Grand Slams. And more in particular in the next few tournaments within the clay season. So yeah, I mean that that's sort of what I, I sort of wanted to end it on because he is a great player. You know, I mean, make no mistake about it, he is a great player. And when I see individuals sort of say, you know, he's the next Federer or Djokovic, it's like no, no, like give Federer, Djokovic, and Nadal their own regard and respect. I mean, again, to say that the next Federer, Djokovic. You know, why can't they just be the, the next them? You know, like, why can't they just be the next them? 
And that's very, very important. I mean, you know, when I, when, when you're in, I, I do stand up, right? So when I see somebody, you know, talk about, you know, things that are very dark and black and risque, you know, talk things in a crass way, people often chalk it up to, oh, he's an expert, he's the next Chappelle. It's like, no, why can't he just be the next person? You know, why can't he just be the next comedian? Why do you have to put people in this box, you know, creatively or, or, or sports-wise? You know, why, why do we have to put people in boxes? Why can't they just be the next them? You know, that's a very, very important thing that I feel like people should really sort of take interest in, you know, and, and sort of, you know, summarize and more importantly, just chalk it up to. You know, when people, when a comedian's very physical, you know, they're like, oh, he's the next, you know, Dane Cook or the next Kevin Hart. It's like, no, why can't he be the next, you know, I mean, this one comedian named Usama Siddiqui, who he's a very great, good comedian. Uh, he's very physical, very funny, you know, and, and because of that, he often gets like Dalia comparisons. It's like, no, like let Usama Siddiqui, let be Usama Siddiqui, you know, like let him be him. You know, that's a very, very important thing. I don't know why I went straight to stand-up. I'm sorry. I'm a stand-up comedian. That's just what happens. Uh, but yes, I think that's it for the tennis news for today uh, and for the uh, comedy news as well. Uh, actually, I'm talking about Bill Murray later on, so maybe not. Uh, let's get into our next bit of discussion here, shall we, uh, with CNN. All right, so CNN has deci- will end CNN Plus by the end of April, and I'm just getting, getting, getting this straight from the horse's mouth, which is CNN. Uh, this is from Oliver Darcy and Brian Stelter. Uh, so let, let me just pull it up for you one, one quick second and then we can discuss it, shall we? Uh, because uh, this is very important because it really shows you the importance of independent media and just how in shambles the, that, you know, legacy media has been under for quite some time. So CNN Plus, the, tr- the streaming service that was hyped as one of the most significant developments in the history of CNN, will shut down on April 30th, just one month after it launched. CNN customers will receive prorated uh, pro refund subscription of subscription fees, the company said. The decision was made by new management after CNN's former parent company, Warner Media, merged with Discovery to form Warner Brothers Discovery earlier this month. So Warner Brothers and Discovery... Warner Media and Discovery decided to create Warner Brothers Discovery. Uh, so yes, the prior management, uh, management team vision for CNN Plus runs counter to Warner Brothers Discovery CEO's David Zaslav's plans to house all the company's brands under one streaming service. Some CNN Plus's programming may eventually live on through that service. Other programming will shift to CNN's main television network. So it's going to shift under the umbrella of one streaming service. So who knows what it will be. Maybe it'll be like something akin to that at Paramount Plus. Maybe that's that's what's going to happen. I don't know. I feel like there's so many sub- subscription services where it's so difficult to pay for all at all and to not treat it like cable because it's it's getting to be like cable. When you have Hulu, when you have Apple TV, when you have that of, say, uh, HBO Go, HBO Now, when you have that of, of Netflix, when you have Amazon Prime, when you have... I mean, YouTube Premium, when you have uh, so many other, you know, premium, like subscription services, it's so difficult to not treat it like cable. It's getting to the point where all these subscription services are basically like cable. And obviously there are ways to sort of uh, maneuver around it. And, you know, uh, there's certain sites where you can go on where you can be like, okay, why not? Why not, uh, you know, 
put locker this, you know? I mean, that's, that's what people do. I mean, let's be honest here. I don't do it, you know, but people do it. You know, people go on one, two, three movies. You know, I don't do it, but people do it. Uh, that, that's very important, you know? In a, com- in a com- complex streaming market, consumers want simplicity. I'm just getting back right into this article. Uh, consumers want simplicity in an all-in service, which provides a better experience and more value than the standalone offerings. And for the company, a more sustainable business model to drive our future investments in great journalism and storytelling. We have very exciting opportunities ahead in the streaming space in CNN. One of the world's pre- premier reputational assets will play an important role there, Perret added. Perret and incoming CEO Chris Light noted st- notified staffers of the decision in a meeting on Thursday afternoon. Light bluntly told employees it, it was a uniquely shitty situation. Hundreds of CNN Plus staffers may lose their jobs, Light said in an internal memo, that all CNN Plus employees will continue to be paid and receive benefits for the next 90 days to explore opportunities at CNN, CNN Digital, and elsewhere in the Warner Brothers Discovery family. And important note to add on to this, Chris Wallace left his job at Fox News to be with CNN Plus. So if that doesn't show you Operation Mockingbird does exist, then I don't know what to tell you, because it does. Uh, but it also goes to show you, like, this is what he left Fox News for, to join CNN+. Plus. He left The Five, one of the best shows on television, to join CNN+. Plus. You know, I mean, who doesn't want to sit with Jesse Waters? You know, who doesn't want to sit with, with Greg Gutfeld? You know, that's the best show on television. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, White said in a town hall style meeting with staffers that this was an incredibly successful launch, but simply incompatible and compatible with, incompatible with the newly merged company's plans. It is not your fault that you had the rug pulled out from underneath you, he said as he vowed to minimize the impacts to staff. During the town hall, Perret expressed some frustrations with the prior leadership of CNN, which was led by Jeff Zucker un, until February, and Warner Media, which was led by Jason Killer until early April. All right, it goes on and on and on, but overall, the main gist of the article is that CNN Plus is ending, and hallelujah. I mean, let's be honest here. It's good. I mean, to see the legacy media fail, to see the establishment media fail, that's important. You know, and I'd say the same thing about Fox News. I'd say the same thing about MSNBC. At the end of the day, they're all same to same, to my, in my opinion. They all serve the establishment's water. They don't really offer any perspectives that deviate from the establishment perspective, and they will squander anybody whose, whose opinions deviate from that of of, say, the, neo- the neoliberal, neoconservative apparatus that is the Hollywood elite or the White House elite, the Washington, D.C. elite. You know, I mean, think of how CNN treated Bernie back in 2016, 2020. Think of how MSNBC treated Bernie and Tulsi and Andrew Yang back in, 20, in 2020. Think of how Fox News treated Ron Paul in 2012. Think of how Fox News treated Donald Trump early on in 2016 before he turned into uh, basically Mitt Romney 2.0 during his time in office. This is what basically the establishment media, media has been doing to outside of the norm candidates for quite some time now. And to see them fail like this, it's great. And when you see the rise of independent channels and, and independent media, such as that of, say, Breaking Points, and that of, say, even comedy channels that, you know, sort of sprinkle politics in it, you know, when you see the rise of Flagrant 2, I mean, Flagrant 2 has been killing it. I mean, Andrew Schultz and Akash Singh have been killing it for quite some time now. I mean, think of that video that they put on their TikTok slash Twitter, Instagram and YouTube in the beginning of their podcast where they address the Will Smith situation. I know it's not really politics related, but still, I mean, that got plenty of views. 
and to see those channels do well, it gives you inspiration that this could happen to you as well. And it gives me inspiration that, hey, this channel could slowly but surely grow as well. I mean, obviously, it's not growing as much as I would like it to be. I mean, I still get, you know, commenters and fans, and I'm thankful for all, each and every one of you for supporting this channel. But it gives you the, the the mindset that, you know, this is, that this can happen, that, you know, independent media can sort of end that of, say, CNN, CNN Plus. I mean, when you think of part of the problem, Dave Smith's podcast, I mean, Dave Smith has been doing extremely well on his podcast. I mean, he is one of the few libertarians that I truly admire and listen to on a daily basis and weekly basis, I should say, not daily basis. I mean, I try and listen to uh, politics, you know, every once a week or so, and then I just turn it off because I don't want to subject myself to too much of that because you do get numb to it. I mean, when you watch politics for so long, you do get numb to it. And it, sometimes it gets to the point where like you'll hear a tragedy or hear something bad and, and not really feel surprised about it. And I feel like that's a very sad thing, but it also is very telling of our media landscape in general. So overall, I'm happy to see CNN, CNN Plus fail because at the end of the day, who really watches CNN? Like, let's be honest here. Who watches CNN? Like 60-year-old women, 70-year-old women in, in nursing homes where the channel is just on CNN? That's who watches CNN? Like, let's be honest here. Like, what 18 to 34-year-old gets their news from CNN? If you're a person that watches CNN, leave a comment down below on my YouTube channel. Uh, I want to know why you do and, and what got you to be so depressed as a human being to watch cable and, and to watch a news channel. Like, I want to know what got you in that mindset to watch a boring news channel to see Brian Stelter uh pontificate on air and and to cite other people for for spreading misinformation but him also spreading misinformation i want to see you in my comment section below because that that's like finding a, a gazelle that's like finding bigfoot in 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 the northwest like how we're able to do that like honestly like that is crazy to think thinking that way uh honestly like that is crazy uh, but overall, I'm excited. I'm happy to see this happen. Like this couldn't have happened to a better group of people. CNN is basically holding water for the government for quite some time now. And to see CNN Plus fail like this, I mean, I honestly like I, I didn't see John Stewart rip Crossfire on air. But I feel like this is similar to that moment where you just see somebody outside of the apparatus outside of that system shake it up so much where people you know within that elite class that go to all the dc parties that go to the bezos parties that go to you know you know saudi parties you know go to those eyes wide shut parties have the rug pulled under them and all they got to do is lie in their own pool of tears that's what it feels like to me and i'm i'm for one and i'm very excited to see what's to come uh, for CNN because they've been on a pretty sad path, if I'm going to say so myself. First off, Cuomo got fired, which I don't think he should have been fired. I mean, I say this as a person that, you know, doesn't really like CNN. I don't think Cuomo shouldn't, shouldn't have been fired. I mean, that's just my opinion. Uh, but then Jeff Zucker got fired. I mean, Jeff Zucker stepped down because of his relationship with somebody on the CNN team. So the CEO left, Chris Cuomo left, um, that and Chris Cuomo was like the highest rated show on CNN. Like you got to give credit where credit is due. Chris Cuomo was the highest rated show on CNN. 
and the fact that they loved him that the fact that he was let go by them shows you just how out of touch they are with people right if chris cuomo is your highest rated show and you end their and end a show what does that say about your network but so chris cuomo's left go is let go jeff zucker resigns and now cnn plus ends like i mean we're basically at the point where cnn is on life support right now right they're on a dialysis machine you know, I mean, it's better to say left support than a dialysis machine. But right now, all they got to do is just, it's, you know, breaking points or flagrant two to just rip the cable off and let CNN die. You know, that would be so great to see. I mean, obviously, I don't think, you know, flagrant two is the main reason as to why CNN ended. But, you know, when you see, you know, I mean, Joe Rogan, you know, when you see Joe Rogan still doing well on Spotify, you know, that's got to hurt CNN. And honestly, when when I heard this news, I was like, Joe Rogan must be laughing maniacally at this. He must be laughing hysterically at this. Honestly, it was it must have been impressive to see uh, for Joe Rogan to see this. It really was. But yes, overall, CNN Plus ends. It's shut down, and I, for one, am uh, very very uh, excited to see. Uh, what's to come for cnn but honestly i'm only excited because of the crapshoot it will be because let's be honest here i mean who watches cnn and if you do watch cnn leave a comment down below why do you watch cnn i want to hear your thoughts and opinions on it are you a fan of neoliberalism are you a fan of cnn i mean why would you if you watch cnn i mean i feel kind of sad for you if you do honestly uh, actually don't comment if you watch cnn i don't want i don't want my audience to be watching that kind of stuff it's torture. It's poison. CNN is like cigarettes. If you watch news channels, that's the equivalent of cigarettes. You know, we'll be looking at CNN, Fox News, and MSNBC the same way we view like, I don't know, a, a box of camels. Like, warning, this can cause cancer and this can cause uh, hatred to family members and to loved ones for dumb culture war nonsense like that should be the warning label for each and every show that's on cnn fox news and msnbc warning this show may cause irreparable damage to relationships with your loved ones and family members over dumb culture war nonsense understand that this is purely for entertainment that should be the warning for each and every msnbc show for for every cnn show for every fox news show it should but yeah, I mean, I think that's it for me on the t- on that for the CNN discussion. I feel like that's a pretty decent way to end it. You know, put a bow on it, put on the gift, send it for shipping. Uh, yeah, that's a pretty good way to end it. Uh, let's talk about the next bit of discussion here, shall we? So Bill Murray was accused of assault on the set of Aziz Ansari's new more uh, new movie, Being Mortal, which is like. If you guys know, don't know Being Mortal, it's a pretty good book. It's written by Atul Gawande. I think that's his name, Atul Gawande. Uh, and Aziz Ansari has got the license to make the movie. And uh, he starred some actors. You know, Seth Rogen was one of them. I think Kiki, Kiki Palmer was also another one. But uh, he's making a movie, and Bill Murray was cast alongside it, and he was accused of some assault. So I'm just getting this from page six. So really reliable source, page six. Bill Murray allegedly handsy with women on a unsorry film set, and also it was, uh, it was also you know sort sort of covered by other outlets as well, in New York Times and whatnot. So 
Yahoo, I, I think Yahoo also covered it. So Bill Murray allegedly handsy with women on Aziz Ansari film set. Bill Murray was allegedly touchy with the women on set of Being Mortal before the shoot was shut down, a source exclusively told The Post. Uh, filming of the 71-year-old Saturday Night Live Legends movie was suspended last week after a complaint was reportedly filed specifically against the actor, allegedly alleging inappropriate behavior. By Thursday, the film was suspended indefinitely amid an investigation into the Ghostbuster star on set's actions. A source told The Post he was very hands-on, t- uh, touchy, not in any personal areas, but put an arm around a woman, touching her hair, pulled her ponytail, but also always in a comedic way. It's a fine line and everybody loves Bill, but while his conduct is not illegal, some women left uncomfortable and he crossed the line. Apparently, Aziz Ansari, who's directing and co-starring the film alongside Seth Rogen, had no tolerance for Murray's behavior and had a showdown with the Lost in Translation legend following the filing of the complaint. The source added a few women complained that Bill, then Bill and Aziz had a big disagreement. This led to an indefinite closure of the set of the shoot. A separate source says that Murray, who is apparently single, loves women and loves to flirt he enjoys poetry and romance he's always flirting but is always couched in comedy it isn't clear he cro- if he crossed the line all right so obviously we're dealing with some allegations here and obviously they don't seem sexual uh and um here's just my overall thoughts and opinions on this i think it's important to separate dickish behavior between it's important to separate dickish behavior with sexual assault and i feel like the people on twitter that are alleging this is sexual assault I feel like that sort of delegitimizes actual sexual assault and sexual harassment. And to chalk this up to that, I feel like it's doing damage to those who actually have been, you know, been harassed and have been assaulted uh, previously in, in, in their lives. So I feel like it's very important to find the difference between dickish behavior and that of sexual harassment. Uh, so I, I think Bill Murray... In my opinion, if he was just going going for funny, I'll defend that because I'm I'm for one and for funny, and will always stand up for funny. And Bill Murray is such a legend that obviously you know he is a comedic legend. If you've seen him at Lost in Translation or The Life Aquatic, uh, you'll know that Bill Murray is a very good actor, but more importantly, a very comedic actor. Of that uh, especially Ghostbusters. If you love Ghostbusters, then you know Bill Murray is just a legend. But Again, it's very important to separate dickish behavior between that of sexual assault. And that's very, very important to sort of find the difference in. Um, and now I get why Aziz Ansari had to kick him off the set and why they had to close the shoot. Because again, Aziz Ansari was accused of the Babe.net article. And I stand by Aziz Ansari even after that Babe.net article. I don't think he did anything wrong in that situation. You know, honestly, like... At one point in the article, like the chick asked for like red wine and he gave him white wine or vice versa. And that was like how the assault started. Like that was one of the dumbest articles I ever read. And the fact that people were so gung-ho on canceling Aziz, it shows you that at the end of the day that the Me Too movement, I mean, there were certain, certain parts of it where like obviously it was good. I mean, obviously they took down Weinstein, they took down Kevin Spacey, they took down James Franco. Obviously, you know, there are some good parts of the Me Too movement. Uh, but overall, there are some, or some certain parts where it's like, okay, this is just for career placement. This is just for career advancement. You know, this is just for, you know, setting a vendetta against somebody and, and you know, just putting a red dawn on somebody's career, even though they don't deserve it. And I felt like that was one of those instances where he had no reason to be canceled. Aziz Ansari had no reason to be canceled for that, of all places, of all things. So, I mean, personally, I understand why Aziz Ansari had to kick him out and why he had to sort of end the shoot because, you know, he doesn't want to be 
alleged to do that ever again, you know, because he understood how much of a hit it was for his career. I mean, he didn't star in season four of Master of None or season three of Master of None uh, for, for that reason. So I get why he had to kick him out to save face and whatnot. But again, this is, this is I mean, he comes from a different time, right? So obviously things that were completely normal 30, 40 years ago are completely reprehensible now. But again, if he wasn't accused of any harassment or assault, if if the biggest thing was just like, I don't know, like joshing around and whatnot. I don't know, man. I, I think it's kind of weird to kick him off set for that. I mean, I, I get why Aziz Ansari had to do it. You know, I get it. But again, I think when you have a person like that, understand that, you know, they had grew up in a different time. And, and more importantly, like, again, you know, it's a set. You have to be a professional. Uh, if, so if he was doing it, like, unprofessionally and, and doing so in a way that wasn't funny, then I get it. But if, if Bill Murray was sort of, like, method acting or doing his thing or, or trying to, you know, liven the mood or whatnot or one, I don't, I don't know what he would do. But, again, if he was just doing something that was just trying to be funny or just trying to come from the fact of being funny, then, I mean, I don't really get why they would do it, why they would kick him out. But, again... For now, I get why they would. I feel like that's very, very important to say. You know, uh, but again, it's very, very important to separate that of discuss uh, dickish behavior versus that of sexual assault. Like, it's very, very important to separate the two. Um, so yeah, I feel like that's very important to sort of talk about and discuss. Uh, overall, I mean, let's be honest here. Uh, the movie, hopefully it's good because I do like Aziz Ansari. I mean, I do like Aziz Ansari. I know people hate him, you know. You know, he's one of those, you know, loud comedians that, you know, talks about... Like, I think, like, Family Guy or The Simpsons had, like, some spoof on Aziz Ansari where they're like, he talks like this, and then he gets louder to indicate his punchline. And it's like, I don't know, man. I mean, Aziz Ansari, Intimate Moments for a Central Evening is a pretty good comedy album. It really is. It's a pretty good special. If you like Dane Cook or if you like, you know, very physical comics like, I don't know, like Eliza Schlesinger, uh, maybe like Aziz Ansari's special or Aziz Ansari's comedy. His special, I think right now, that he put like two, three years ago, where he's like wearing a Metallica shirt in black and white, that was also a really good special. That bit about Crazy Rich Asians is phenomenal. And the fact that, you know, it's very intimate for lack of a better term uh it it really goes to show you that Aziz Ansari really cares a lot about what he puts out there and I think being mortal will be a good film uh it just stinks to see uh Bill Murray uh be kicked out because I think that would have really amplified just how great this movie would have been if Bill Murray wasn't it but again you know nobody really watches movies anymore besides moral movies so who would I know uh I, I don't have good cinematic taste like the Avengers you know, I don't, I'm not a big Avengers fan. I'm not a big superhero fan. So, I, I mean, I, I did watch the Batman, but again, I, if it's Matt Reeves directing it, is it really a superhero film? You know, if the Batman is only uh, uttered one time during the entire film, is it really a film? Is it really a superhero film? If it's basically ripping off note by note by Zodiac and Seven, is it really a superhero film? The answer is yes, because it still has Batman. But, uh, Yes, overall, that's just, that's what happened, you know, and uh, Bill Murray is out, and hopefully uh, the movie turns out good. 
That's all I can really say about the issue. Let's get into my weekly pick, shall we? So each and every week, I recommend a book, a piece of film, an art form, a, a, a book, a piece of film, a piece of art. Sometimes a special that I really enjoy, uh, that I think you guys will enjoy as well. This week, I'll be recommending Pusha T's "It's Almost Dry." So this is his first album release since 2018, since his Daytona, uh, which is a really good album. One of the be- like Pusha T, in my opinion, is one of the best rappers to ever do it. Uh, his coke rap, but mixed with that of being experimental with his beat choices and with his with the instrumentals it, it really goes to show you that Pusha T is a person in his own lane and Pusha T's is almost right is a really good album uh it's produced entirely by Pharrell and Kanye Kanye did six tracks Pharrell did six other tracks in total 12 tracks in total uh and you know it's a Kanye track when it's very very sample heavy and when it's very out there in the samples and when it's very sort of gospel if it's very gospel like or if it's very sample heavy that's outside of the norm it's probably going to be a kanye beat if it's pharrell understand that the beat's probably going to be something akin to that of say the neptunes obviously uh and something that's similar to that of uh no one ever really dies that album that you released with nerd so that's how you can distinguish between those two beats and obviously this entire album is really good i really thoroughly enjoyed it it's one of my favorite albums of this year so far uh diet coke is the single which is great it, the beat is very college dropout heavy like i felt like that beat could have fit within the college dropout or graduation timeline for kanye obviously kanye uh made the beat for that dreaming of the past is really good i think dream of the past was the uh song that was sample that, that had the john lennon sample in it I mean, that was crazy. I think he performed it on Jimmy Fallon, which he killed. That that performance was really good. I mean, Jimmy Fallon was there and it was still a good show uh, for Pusha T. Just so you remember, uh, I think just, just so you remember was the John Lennon sample. And Dream of the Past was the Kanye verse. Sorry, I mixed those two up. Just so you remember was the John Lennon sample. Dream of the Past was the yay, uh, yay uh, verse on it. Uh, I Pray For You was so... That was the last track of the entire album. And that was just so ethereal. The Ye production was so evident in that song. And it was so cutthroat. It was very gospel heavy. Uh, Malice, the other half of the clips. Go check out the clips. Mr. Me Too is like a great song. Uh, great beat by Pharrell. Um, Malice did his own thing on I Pray For You. And again, I, can, I have nothing bad to say about this album. I don't think it's as good as, say, Daytona. I feel like Daytona was, which was way more polished, way more cohesive. But Pusha T's It's Almost Dry is a good album from front to back. And I highly suggest you check it out. Uh, one of my favorite lyrics from this album was, millionaires are, being, are, are made from the middlemen. Like, that was one of my favorite lyrics from, from this album. And also the Diet Coke uh the crack era was such a black era how many still wondering is stuck within that era again i'm butchering the joke uh the the joke uh i'm butchering the lyrics to it um it's uh, obviously Pusha t does it Pusha t does it incredibly better than what i just did uh so yeah go go check out this album it's really good uh, and it really goes to show you that Pusha T is in his own lane. You know, obviously you do have, he's not the first ever to rap about Coke, right? You know, he's not the first ever to rap about Coke. Obviously you've, you've had, you know, the Jay-Z's and whatnot, but I feel like Pusha T 
is able to do it in a way that's very sort of avant-garde, you know, very sort of out there, very sort of experimental. And he's able to sort of tinker with his rhyme schemes and flows and hooks to to sort of do it within his own lane. And I think that's something that's very admirable. And, you know, Pusha T's is Almost Dry is a great album. Go check it out. Link in the description box below. All right, I think that's it for today, guys. Uh, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, make sure you like, subscribe, and click the bell icon for notifications down below. Make sure you follow me on both my Instagram and Twitter. Uh, for Instagram, is at OJ Tucker underscore on Twitter. Same thing, at OJ Tucker, H-A-Y-T-H-A-K-K-A-R underscore at the end for both my Instagram and my Twitter. Make sure you subscribe to both my podcast channel and my podcast clips channel. Make sure you rate and review on my iTunes and Spotify. And last but not least... Actually, not last but not least, uh, make sure you leave a comment down below on any of the topics I discuss, whether it's Bill Murray, whether it's my weekly pick, whether it's CNN Plus. What, do you, are you happy about CNN Plus ending? Are you happy about what happened to Bill Murray? Uh, what are your overall thoughts and opinions on the Boston Open final as well as well as that of the Serbian Open final? Do you like my weekly pick? Have you listened to Pushy T's? It's almost dry. What are your th- thoughts, comments, and questions? Leave it all of them below. I'll do my best to respond to each and every one of them. I'll give a heart emoji if I think it's okay. I'll like if I really enjoy it. I'll leave it as B if it's okay, if I don't really care about the comment. Uh, and also, last but not least, make sure you spread it to one person. I think word of mouth is very, very important. Whether it's through WhatsApp or whether it's through text chains or whether it's through your group chats, whatever it is, do your best to you know spread the word. I feel like word of mouth is the best thing to uh, do. And the more people that listen to this podcast, the better it is. Uh, because I think we should create a community that is something that's very open and honest and more importantly, just wants to hear a good banner with some comedy sprinkled in as well. Uh, Just a little bit. Uh, So that's it for me, guys. Thank you so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you guys on Thursday. We'll talk more about tennis tournaments that are happening. And I don't think there's any ATP 1000 tournaments happening this week. I think it's more ATP 250, ATP 500. But nevertheless, nonetheless, we'll discuss tennis topics and things that are happening within our political and societal realm as well. So, guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you guys on Thursday. All right, guys. Peace. See you all.